Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiology nutrition professor of about a dozen years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, powerlifter. Um, I run Strength Guild, liftforhope.org, and I beat Jake Sullivan in the Highland Games to go into the A class. So, um, with that, we have Jake uh, with us today. Um, We'll, we'll talk to him more here in a minute. Lonnie's got some news first, and then we'll, we'll, go, we'll go in and talk about that. Yeah, actually, I was going to avoid as much news as I could today, but this landed in my lap today. Um, myostatin blockers are back in the news. Strength and muscle sport news. Listeners that have been around for a while, you know that this was all the hype. There were supplement companies falling over each other trying to market stuff that was supposed to block myostatin and remove the breaks for muscle growth. So... Apparently now this is actually happening. Let me show you here. This is from uh, American Society for Microbiology. New compound could reverse loss of muscle mass in cancer and other diseases. A new antibody could dramatically boost strength and muscle mass in patients with cancer, COPD, uh, myositis, and some other elderly, other muscle-wasting conditions. The new compound, BYM338, acts to prevent muscle wasting by blocking a receptor... Uh, and then the whole signaling system, of course, that puts the brakes on muscular development. Uh, it's from Estelle Latch and colleagues, uh, 2013. It's, uh, actually, it's not even published fully yet, but uh, it says the title of the paper is An Antibody-Blocking Activin Type 2 Receptors Induces Strong Skeletal Muscle Hypertrophy and Protects from Atrophy. In fact, according to the news release, it says the muscle mass increases like 25 to 50% in animals that are given this this uh, antibody. So this is no small amount, and I think they're going to move it into clinical trials and whatnot. Um, but here it says, the myosin activin type 2 receptor pathway, it's quite a mouthful, but has been identified as, a, as critical in regulating skeletal muscle size. Um, there's been different things that blocked parts of this pathway, as I understand it, in the past, but nothing this specific. It says, we have developed a novel human anti- Act R2, that's that receptor, uh, antibody, uh, a.k.a. BYM338, or also known as bimagrumab. God, the drug names they come up with. Uh, <laughs> but it prevents binding of ligands to the receptors and thus inhibits the downstream signaling. Where do they call it here? Uh, it, it was designated a breakthrough therapy by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, at least for myositis. So this is the real deal. It's an antibody that interferes with the whole myostatin receptor pathway. I'm guessing this will go right to the pharmaceutical industry, but watch supplement companies fall over each other to try to, you know, jump on this. I mean, the Food and Drug Administration is saying it's a breakthrough therapy. So uh, let's face it, 25 to 50% more muscle mass. Holy crap. Yeah. That's a lot of muscle mass. So, uh, yeah, brand new stuff about to be published uh, in, let's see, this isn't even the full paper. This is like the uh, the submission. 
molecular cell biology. So, uh, so how long until that uh, is on the black market and we see like five hundred pound bodybuilders? Now I'm very <laughs> curious. That's right. That you know, I mean, there's so much discussion about how anabolics work and are they anabolics like we we call them or do they just interfere with like cortisol receptors and they slow muscle breakdown or whatever? But yeah, imagine if this is additive. I mean, yeah. technology is literally getting to the point where some of the, you know, we're talking about the bodybuilders, especially with the redonkulous doses, 13 gram a week doses and everything of androgens. When you stack this on, yeah, do they get so big they die? Yeah. I mean, they're not that far from that now. You see a 350 pound guy who's blue with cyanosis, you know, and <laughs> he's got no body fat. And well, I'm curious gasping. too, what would it do, what would it do for uh, organ growth? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I haven't, this is brand new stuff, so I don't know. It did talk about the loss of muscle and fat uh, in some of these wasting conditions. You know, like if somebody has cancer wasting, all the, their muscles and their fat are just wasting away. You feed them more, and it doesn't really help that much. So, well, that's, yeah, that's the hard part is they can do these trials for a few years, but we, we really won't know the true side effects until 20, 30 years down the road. Well, they're moving into human clinical trials. I mean, it's a yeah. big, it's a big breakthrough, and that's why yeah. I'm mentioning it at all. But sure. um, yeah, it's it's a good question, Jake, because that's what they thought with growth hormone. You know, back in the '70s and '80s, before Kevin Yurashevsky did some of that work, he's like, "Oh, this is mostly organ mass." You know, now if you stack it with yeah. androgens, you know, of course, there's lots of muscle mass as well. But yeah, you never know. I mean, 25 to 50 percent increase in muscle mass. I didn't read anything about organ mass or other, but that's a good question. So we'll have to see how this pans out. But myostatin blockers back in the news. Yep. And with that, um, like we mentioned a little bit ago, we uh, got Jake Sullivan with us. Jake, thanks for joining us. Hey there, thanks for having me. Yeah, and everybody, anybody who doesn't know Jake, um, we actually kind of started Highland Games together back when I was in Arizona. And uh, we were both just kind of novices to it. And I went in, and we both competed in Prescott. I narrowly beat Jake to go into A-class. And then, uh, hell, one games or the next games, you win A-class, right? Uh, let's see. I did the uh, flag stuff was the next game. I did the B-class in that game, and you went to A-class. And then I won that B-class game and went to the A-class after that. Yeah, exactly. I believe, so he, I believe Ventura was my first A-class game. Yeah, so he came to A-class right after that, and then I kind of fell off and got a family moved around the country, and Jake kept practicing, and now he's a pro and took third in the world. So and Now Phil just avoids me every chance he can. I don't know what's <laughs> yeah. going on with that. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. So he can keep the bragging rights. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's never going to beat me. I beat you. That's right. He's 1-0, right? <laughs> yeah, but 1-0. That's it staying that way. Perfect record. So, perfect record. But, uh, no, so we had Jake on. I just wanted to talk about, so you went to Worlds this year, right? Yes, sir, I did. And what were your what were your throws there? Oh, that was an outstanding game. Um, I had, uh, let's see, we, we used a heavy stone, a heavy brain mark stone. I believe it was 26 or 28 pounds. Uh, stones are not my uh, forte whatsoever, so I think I went uh, 36 with that Braemar, and then uh, on the open stone, I went, uh, I actually tied Sebastian Wenta, uh, you know, the world's strongest man guy, tied Sebastian Wenta 53, 8.5 mm. uh, for stone. On uh, heavyweight for distance, I went 46, 7, I believe, uh, which gave me the, uh, it gave me the, the win in that event. Uh, lightweight for distance, I, I, narrowly edged out an 83 foot um uh for that I, I, and let's see 
So uh, Heavy Hammer was, I believe, one, I think 113. And then I had a really big PR with the uh, with Light Hammer at 143, which got me a nice second place. Uh, right behind Dan McKim, that guy can he can drop a hammer, you know. It's it's, it's really awesome watching him throw a hammer. Uh, and then let's see, really the there wasn't much of a highlight for Wob and Caber. I, I didn't turn the Caber, you know. That's about on poor on par for my course. It's something I've been working on a big weak area, and I believe. Uh, uh, I think I went 16 on weight over bar, so I mean that was man, that's about par for the course too. I've hit 17 a couple times this year. Yeah. So for people who don't know, Highland Games is generally two stones, two hammers, two weights, caber, and weight over bar. Yes, sir. And then uh, you have the occasional sheath toss as well. They don't do that at Worlds, though. Is that right? I don't believe so. I, some of them might. Um, I, this one, this one didn't. So um, it's more it's more of a it's more of an American uh, competition. Yeah. Uh, so when you have the international guys come over, it's not really it's it's you know pretty new to them. And just so it's clear, it's not sheep, as in ba. It's it's sheep. <laughs> <laughs> so I get no, that. It's sheep. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's sheep like a like a bag of like a bag of uh, hay or you know like a bale of hay or a bag of twine. So, kind of to explain to everybody, so. To go from, like, everybody usually starts in C-class. I think me and you both started in B-class. Um, but in Highland Games, generally, it's you start in C-class to go to B-class, you win a C-class. To go to A-class, you win a B-class. Um, how do you go pro? Uh, really, I mean, it's, even as far as the, the individual classes are concerned, you can move yourself up at any time, you know, okay. so long as your marks are, are are where they need to be. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're, if you have really good B-marks, uh, it's just, you know, somebody's you know sandbag from the A class, and you, know, you can't beat them. Then you can move yourself up. But as far as uh, as far as going pro is concerned, you know, obviously your number one concern is going to be your marks have to be comparable. Um, so when I decided I wanted to go pro, uh, I actually you know uh, initially 2013 wasn't going to be my first pro season. 2014 was, um, but the competition I had gone against, you know, uh, in Arizona, California, Nevada, um, it, it it just wasn't. Yeah, uh, I don't want to disrespect other throwers. It just wasn't as challenging as it once was. Gotcha. So uh, I decided that you know my marks were almost where they needed to be to go pro. So I just decided you know I was going to just kill it in the off season, practice like crazy. I actually didn't spend a lot of time in the gym at all. I was practicing, you know, two sometimes three times a day, or two sometimes three times a day. You know, four or five days a week, mm-hmm. um, just with getting my technique down because I'm not one of the strongest throwers out there. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not one of the most skilled throwers out there. So I spent a lot of time trying to become one of the most skilled throwers out there. Uh, and I figured I can build the strength up later. Um, I pretty much just went to the gym to uh, uh, just to maintain my strength levels, of which I, I actually I think I lost a little bit. Um, but since my technique had, had improved so much, um, it, it, it countered very well. So to, to make the jump to pro, obviously, like I said, one, you got to have uh, you got to have the marks to do it, um, and, and two, you got to. I mean, you got to be a, a nice person. You're not gonna you're not gonna get invited to, to pro games, you know, looking like a dummy out there, you know, mocking everybody and and you know being just generally you know not a not a nice person. You've got to you know show that you care about the games, you know, show your respect that you're out there. You want to help, you know, as well as you know throw big. You got to be an entertainer. I mean, yeah. you know, we're entertainers. You can't you can't uh, you can't have a bad throw and you know go out you know cussing everybody out because he was a bad throw. You mm. know. 
Uh, and if you have a good throw, you know, make a spectacle of yourself. I, you know, I, I love it. You know, another guy, uh, Nick Hannock, man, he, he's, uh, he's an amateur. He's gone pro this year. He, he broke the stone, open stone world record. And, uh, he, uh, he's a great entertainer. I mean, he, he's a big throw and the crowd knows it. I mean, he's, he's running around the field having a great time. That's what it's all about. Just have a good time. No, that's one of the big things about the games that I think is a lot of fun. Is unlike the other strength sports where, you know, you go to powerlifting, Olympic lifting, it's like, there's usually maybe some family and a couple close, close friends there. At the games, you'll have, what, Phoenix? They get 30,000 people through there in two days, I think. And, you know, oh, you yeah, yeah. a ton of people cheering for you and watching you. Um, and you got over 100,000 people go through the gates at the Celtic Classic in Pennsylvania. Really? Yeah. And I know mm-hmm. Pleasanton's huge, too. Uh, oh, yeah, Pleasanton is great. So, no, I mean, that's a lot of fun. Jake, when you were just talking, let me just ask you this then. And I don't mean to be insulting in any way. So, if mm-hmm. being an entertainer, and it sounds like sort of a, a sportsman, a good sport is uh, is part of all this. Sure. But you know, being flashy and everything, how is this different than from <laughs> something like big time wrestling? <laughs> big time wrestling. Uh, well, for one, it's not scripted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, uh, I mean, while it's very entertaining to watch, I mean, you know, certain things are going on, you know, that are supposed to be going on. Uh, you know, we go out there on the field, and and it's we're all buddies. You know, we have we, we you know I've known a lot of guys. You know, thrown I, even now I throw against a lot of guys that I threw against with as amateurs. There's guys I throw with, uh, against now that have been pros for several years, and you know we in a sense we all kind of look up to each other, and we're all you know kind of friends. So we go out there, and and you know we just push each other, and we try to we just you know try to throw as far as we can, put everything we have into it, and and leave it all out there. But you know, I guess, I guess. Well, what you're saying about uh, you know the, the, the entertainment wrestling—it's—it's. It's, I mean, it's—it's it's different, but it's not different. I mean, you want people need to have a good time. You know, uh, people don't know how much this stuff weighs. And you—you you tell somebody you know you're throwing a 56 pound block. You know, what do they say? Oh, that's great. It's 56 pounds. I mean, so you—you've got to—you've got to make it you know look like uh, uh, like you're doing something. You know, it, it, the farther it goes, the higher it goes. The you know the louder you yell. The, the higher you jump, I mean, it's all, uh, you know, it's all relative. Right. I guess that's what I was getting at, is there's a real performance aspect to this. Because, you know, even bodybuilding has drifted into that category a little bit here and there. People, you know, uh, flicking at the audience, you know, come hither and, and pumping their hands in the air and, di- you know, doing um, oh, certainly. posing routines that are like, you know, strippers. It's, it's kind of ridiculous sometimes, but I guess what <laughs> I'm getting the, at is... Some routines are fun to watch. <laughs> Well, yeah, and they can be, and I think that's your point, right? It's entertaining, so it draws big crowds. But at the end of the day, there's some real numbers that have to be put up or put mm. forward, right? Exactly. I mean, it's. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to take anything away from wrestlers. Those guys are strong. Like John Cena's got, you know, he's got some big numbers in the gym, and you know, he's got a great physique and stuff like that. But you know, it's it, 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 at the end of the day. I mean, I mean, they're lifting people up, and that takes that takes skill and stuff. But at the same time, there's a certain aspect of you know uh, of technique. Strength, speed, a little bit of everything that that has to go in if you want something to make it go far. And yeah. you know, if you get somebody out there and they throw, I don't know, so they throw a, a forty-five foot heavyweight, and then the very next guy throws a thirty foot heavyweight, well, it's like well, you know, pe- people can tell. You know, it, it, it's yeah, obvious. So, <laughs> so, so you have to have, yeah, you got to have that performance aspect. Compared to you know professional wrestling, also, I mean, like in the wrestling, Cena knows when he walks in the ring that. At two minutes and fourteen seconds, he's going to pick up this guy and slam him. Right. Jake has no right. clue. Jake has no clue that he's going to throw a hundred and forty foot hammer. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. There, there's there's and there's so much room for error, especially with the hammer because the hammer's moving so fast. And there's so much room for error on on everything. I mean, you know, you talk to uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you've had other. Uh, I, I, I know you interviewed Matt Vincent and Larry Brock, and and there's a there's a very high level of technique that's involved. You know, higher than strength. You know, that that I would even say. I mean, I, I've thrown against guys that are just massively beastly strong, and 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 they're just you know they can't throw you know hardly anywhere close to my distances because the technique isn't there. So and, and it, at the same time, you know you got to get it going fast. And so the faster things going, the, the bigger you know the larger room for error you have, and it's easy to let one slip out and, yeah. and lose it. Yeah. What are you weighing now, Jake? I'm um, trying to come. I'm trying to come down um, about two seventy five, two seventy three ish. I was up, I was up to I was up to two ninety five a couple of months ago. Where are you at normally? Where do you feel good throwing wise, though? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to still, still trying to figure it out. Really, I, you know, I, I I do pretty well about two eighty, two eighty five. Yeah. Um, but I feel like if I can get leaner, I can get faster. Uh, I can put more on it. But it's it's yeah. kind of a double edged blade because uh, the less you weigh, the less the less you can counterbalance your yeah. implements mm-hmm. and. And uh, you know, it's I mean, it's it's six one way half dozen others. I, I guess there's a some searching I still have to do to figure that one out exactly. That's an interesting yeah. point because you, it, it's realize. not bigger is not necessarily better, is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got to yeah, well, exactly. I mean, there's there's uh, Matt Doherty. He's a Canadian. Uh, he's a great thrower, and he's only about 245 pounds. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, versus, I mean, you guys got got like uh, Spencer Tyler. He he's dropping 47 foot heavyweights, and, and he's like 330. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's all all range of the spectrum. You don't have to be heavy. Um, it, you know, in some instances, if your technique isn't where it needs to be, and is and, and the weight slows you down, then it'll hurt you. Yeah. But uh, you know, if you've got the speed, I mean, Dan Williams was I think he was three seventy uh, at one point, and he was uh, he, I mean he was going forty eight feet with the heavyweight. Yeah. So I mean, he's it, it, it's I guess it just depends on how well you can work with your body. Well, at a I mean, weight. you just said it though, right there. But it is a heavy person sport because 240 is small. <laughs> you know? And that, that happens. I mean, I don't think people realize how they think 56-pound weight, but when you're spinning in a circle with 56 pounds and the force it's generating, it, it helps to be fairly heavy. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not going to see, you know, uh, while, I, while I would venture to imagine that, you know, somebody could probably control... Uh, control of 56, you know, at 170 pound body weight, it's just not going to be the same uh, level of control that somebody that's 250 pounds has. Because yeah. I mean, I, you know, I can I can make the weight do what I want, but you know, like you know, back to the technique. If, if your technique isn't where it needs to be, then it's still going to throw you. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I think that's good. Let's uh, hit a short break, and then we'll come back and we're going to talk uh, gym training for Island Games. So. Oh, I like it. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, there's a new development on the right side of the page. You can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. 
And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine US dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it uh, lower down the page. They have one hundred and eighty day rentals and one year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So, uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hi, this is Rob Fortune Fortney, and I'm here to ask that as the holidays approach and your thoughts turn to giving, you consider your friends here at ironradio.org. Over the past several years, we've heard and read hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. We are here for you. But like any other radio format, we're listener supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you can become a sporting member. Keep your weekly dose of education, experts, and gen talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page or click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brother and Sister. Thanks for helping us create a place for better internet programming for all strength and muscle sports and a happy holidays. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we're back. And kind of like I alluded to, we're going to talk about the gym aspects of, of Highland Games versus the field aspects uh, with Jake. And then who knows, maybe we'll get into powerlifting and stuff like that. Because um, I know Jake's done some of that in Strongman. But what I wanted to get into is, um, like you said, we've talked to Larry Brock and Matt Vincent and things like that. And I know Larry Brock, um, his gym, he, he like way laid off the gym from from what I remember when the Highland Games season started, started coming on. Um, and then I think Matt did a bit too. Um, where do you stand on that? I mean, how does your in the gym activity vary as your season changes? Uh, well, I think you have to look at how many games are you doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I know that Larry did a lot of games. I mean, I, I've never talked to him or met him personally, but you know, from other people I've talked to, I know that he did a lot of games. Uh, so I mean, if, if you're doing you know 25, 30 games a year, 
I mean, you're not just you're just not going to be able to recover, you yeah. know, from in order to go to the gym. Um, and then I know Matt, his first year as a pro, he uh, he did a lot of games too. He really marketed himself, got himself out there, met a lot of athletic directors. Um, I forgot to bring this up uh, earlier, but you know that's one other thing too. If you're looking to go on pro, uh, you got to network a little bit. You know, go to some of the bigger games. You know, make friends with the athletic directors. You know, show them that you're interested and you want to help out and and you want to come back as a pro. Um, but anyways, back to uh, the, the the gym thing. Uh, uh, yeah, Matt did a lot of games, um, and uh, he he's got uh, he's got a book. I'm sure he talked about when he was on uh, last time uh, training lab. Uh, the shows, you know, his his in season. Uh, programming, his off-season programming. Uh, and, you know, I guess just everybody's a little different. As, as far as me, uh, you know, I, I did, I think I did 12 games last year. So 12 games, you know, over the course of, uh, I think, seven months or so, six months. That's, you know, equates to about two games a month. I had uh, uh, three times, or no, two times over the season, I had games that were two weeks in a row. Um, so with that said, I really didn't change my gym, uh, my training very much in the gym. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, when I, you know, when I was into you know powerlifting strongman before, I, I you know I, I I trained probably five days a week in the gym. Uh, so that's the difference between then and now. I train three days a week in the gym, and I spend a lot of time throwing. But as far as in season, off season, um, I, I really I really don't change a, a whole lot. Gotcha. What about the what you do in the gym? How has that changed? Are you doing like more speed work, more hang snatches, more speed squats, or is it more? Are you kind of a stay heavy type? What's it like? You know, I, it, it's a it's a it's a little bit of both. I um, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm going to probably guess it's because of my age, uh, and I'm certainly sure my ego has something to do with it. But it, you know, if I don't squat heavy and deadlift heavy at least once every two weeks, I feel like I'm getting weaker. Uh, that's probably not the case, but you know, I've got to pull, I've got to pull something close to 600 and squat something close to, close to 500 at least once every two weeks. Otherwise, I feel like I'm just melting away. Yeah. Uh, so you know, even in season, I do that. Um, but with that said, uh, my my training has, has, is a lot more, I guess, uh, speed slash, slash explosive oriented. Um, I, I really do enjoy snatches, but I just feel like to get the real benefit out of them there's a lot of technique involved uh, i mean look at you know look at the olympic guys they, they oh, spend yeah. you know five days a week training nothing but olympic lifts it's crazy yeah so uh i i i really don't do those very much the majority of the highland games guys do and, and you know i applaud them it's just i i don't i don't really have the time to, to figure out how to how to make them perfect to make them effective <laughs> so i i like to do uh i like to do uh you know some, some heavy squatting uh, some heavy pulling, uh, and then I do it at least once. You know, every single time I go in the gym, I want to do something explosive. You know, with my legs. So, for instance, on Monday, I know we'll say I, I pull and I front squat, and then I do 24 inch box squats. And I know I realize it's a high, you know, high box. You know, everybody's going to give me crap for it, but you know, I put 500 pounds on the bar, do sets of five, and I want the bar coming off my shoulders every rep. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want to explode. You know, mm-hmm. and then on Tuesdays I do you know push presses. That's an explosive movement. A lot of, you know, big legs. I got to get the bar up as high as I can. You know, if I want to move something big. Uh, and then on Thursday, um, I'll do a regular squat workout. And then after that, I'll do uh, behind the neck uh, power jerks. So you know, again, something to yeah. to let my legs know. You know, you got to you're gonna have to work fast. This is gonna go. Yeah. Hey, I have a question. Have a question. Uh, Jake, if you mentioned not wanting to waste away, is there a time of the year that you focus on hypertrophy specifically, or you just let the heavy weights uh, keep the mass on you? Uh, 
you know, throughout the throughout the year, you know, I, I don't know, over the past four, three or four years, I've tried several times to to put, to, you know, to, to do some hypertrophy training, and it's just it's just so boring. I, you know, I can't do it anymore. It, you know, <laughs> sets of sets of eight, ten, twelve. That's that's a lot, man. That's a lot of reps, mm-hmm. and it's just. Uh, you know, I even I even tried to do it a couple months ago, and I'm just I, I I like my triples, my doubles, and my singles, you know. And then you know, my assistants work I do like for, for fives, uh, and then I'll do some higher rep stuff just for uh, you know for like, supportive tissues, uh, so to prevent injury, you know, like face pulls and you know curls and stuff like that. Um, but as far as hi- hypertrophy is concerned, no, I I don't really I don't really focus too much on that. Well, and I neglected to mention this, but your background in the beginning was. More towards bodybuilding, wasn't it? Certainly, yeah. I mean, I wanted to be—I wanted to be a bodybuilder. You know, up until up until probably 2005, when uh, I, mean, I got down, I got to about uh, about 230, 235, and nine percent body fat, and I looked really good. And uh, I just—I spent so much time dieting, and I spent endless amounts of time doing cardio. And I mean, I, I probably—you know—I I probably could have hired a nutritionist and done it better. But it was just, you know, I got down to nine percent body fat. I had, you know, good looking abs, you know, vascular, and it's just like, man, I got to go another, you know, six percent or five percent to, yeah. to step on stage. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to have a cheat day. You know, it's been two weeks since I had a cheat day. You know, I had a, you know, bowl of macaroni and cheese and and some ice cream, and and I woke up the next morning, my abs were gone. I'm like, you yeah, know, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> he ate a bowl of macaroni and cheese, and he didn't turn back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. No, no, never again. Turn to the dark side. <laughs> I mean, I, I spent a lot of time with with hypertrophy training when I was you know, earlier in my lifting career. I mean, I I've got a training log somewhere. I don't know, but I remember I, I looked back through it a couple months ago, and it's all you know on squats: two twenty five for twenty, two seventy five for twenty, three fifteen for twenty. That's just dumb. I wouldn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we should probably clarify too. I mean, you're an advanced guy, like Phil said. You, especially with the bodybuilding past, you've got a lot of muscle mass. Would you recommend mm-hmm. that guys that are not pro uh, spend time trying to build a bigger engine, or not so much? I guess you got to look at you got to look at your size. I mean, if, if you're if you're six foot and you're 180 pounds, certainly yes, you need you got to get bigger. You know, it's it's, it's you're not gonna you're not gonna throw uh, at 180 pounds. You're just not gonna throw as far as somebody who weighs 250. But I mean, if you've got I mean, if you got 210, 220 or more uh, pounds of lean body mass on you, then I don't think you need to. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, you can at that point you don't have to grow to get stronger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, back to the you know you said like you're. The high twenty-four inch box squat stuff like that. I mean, I think the only people that would look down on that is people that don't understand sports. Um, mm-hmm. Jake's never gonna. He doesn't have to like parallel squat in his sport. <laughs> you yeah. know, mm-hmm. when you when yeah, you yeah, exactly. some extension on your stones or your caber or anything like that, it's not. You probably are going to be at twenty-four inches or higher. So it's yeah, like, exactly. Specific what you're doing. Um, and I, I, I do squat. I mean, I take my squat, my front squat, all the way down. I take my back squat all the way down. And I'm a big advocate of, of breaking parallel and really activating, you know, your hands, your glutes, everything. Uh, but as far as uh, a sports-specific lift, I think those high box squats are great. I mean, um, same thing as uh, I like to do. I really like to do seated, uh, seated box jumps. You know, where you sit down on like a 12-inch box. You know, lift your legs up and then just you know just drive them into the floor and explode up onto a thir- you know twenty four, thirty, thirty six inch box. Mm-hmm. 
No, and that's interesting that you mentioned the snatch um, and how you don't take the time to perfect it like an Olympic lifter. And it's something I've battled with, and it's definitely something that I do with my... Well, I train Olympic lifters, and then I train non-Olympic lifters. I have powerlifters and baseball players and wrestlers and stuff like that. And any of my people that aren't aren't an Olympic lifter, I just view it like I had a football player. OU's starting kicker came here, and he wanted to learn Olympic lifts. And I was like, dude, what for? You know, as long as we make you, I mean, he can have an ugly snatch, and as long as we're generating hip power with it, it's it's okay. You know, his snatch doesn't have to be perfect. It, in my opinion, it's a waste of time for us to take eight months to teach him how to do the snatch Olympic style when he doesn't have to freaking do that in his sport. And we can do the same thing with something easier, like, I don't know, a freaking a good morning that's done fast or... You know, mm-hmm. box jumps. Pull throughs, explosive pull throughs. You know, yes. yeah, box jumps. Exactly. Or, yeah, exactly. Explosive pull throughs and things like that. I mean, I think there's a lot of. Olympic lifts are great. Don't get me wrong. But Olympic lifts are at a high level, and the time it takes is only great for Olympic lifters. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. You'd be wasting your time to be, get really great at snatching when you, know, you can have an ugly power snatch and get what you need done. Phil, what you're saying about yeah, no, exactly. about being ugly versus clean and stuff, it's a great point about always asking somebody, you know, what's your goal? You know, what's your yeah. ultimate goal? Because we, it's so easy, I think, for lifters to say, oh, you didn't squat below parallel, shame on you. Or, oh, that's yeah. a sloppy snatch, you know. Exactly. I consider myself a good friend of Jim Windler's, and one of his big things is he wants the, the heaviest, ugly, clean you can have. Because mm-hmm. it just <laughs> means he's cock strong. You know, yeah. <laughs> a big clean with great form doesn't mean you're that strong. You got great form, you know. Uh-huh. That's just like if I stepped onto a Highland Games field and I threw, you know, let's say I threw 150 feet and beat Jake with a hammer and my technique was horrible. I'm just freaking <laughs> strong. You know? So, you know, it's those two different things. Not that that would ever happen. I don't think anybody could throw that far just being strong because it's a different kind of a different move. But, you know, uh-huh. just to get the, the point across. Yeah, then there's – I have people that – and I think it, you have to take everybody for what they're trying to do, like you were saying, Lonnie. I mean, what's the context of what we're trying to do? Um, and I, I'm, I'm kind of a dummy about it, too. I mean, I, I understand your, you know, the whole you know, sloppy snatch deal. Uh, I, I, I enjoy doing snatches, and I, I don't know, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of weird that if I can't do it right, I'm just not going to do it, you know. So that's why it's like, yeah, I don't want to learn it. You know, if I can't do it right, I'm not going to do it. You know, I'll, I'll get the same benefit out of doing, you know, just like you said, the jumps or uh, you know, the, the pull-throughs and stuff like that. So I just, you know, it, there's, a, there's a lot of guys that are super, super successful, you know, very strong uh, snatching and clean. You know, Matt Vincent, Andy Vincent's crazy strong. Yeah. Uh, he's got a, you know, I, I think he's got a three 350 or so snatch. Uh, what is it? Uh, Dan McKim has got a 340 snatch. These guys are crazy. I'm, I'm not that strong. Uh, <laughs> that's probably why I can't turn a caber, though, so. Yeah. Hey, can I ask then, uh, I think I might have asked this to strongmen before that we've interviewed, but uh, in different events, can you put a rough percent, like skill versus strength on the different events? Like, is an event, is one event 70-30 and another one's more like a 60-40, you know what I mean? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I would say, let's see, for, this is obvious, if you want, if you want, you know, really good numbers. Uh, I'm going to say, like, you, know, you you can produce you can produce pretty good numbers. I'd say you can get, uh, we'll say somewhere between 120 and 135 uh, with uh, with with above average technique uh, on the light hammer. 
All right, but if you want if you want to go 140, uh, you know it's it's pretty much it, it, it's all about speed and and positions. You know, it, at that point, it, it probably drops to like 80 20 technique versus strength. Whereas the the 120 to 135 ish is probably more like you know probably more like 60 percent technique, you know, 40 percent strength. You, you can get away with a lot more mm-hmm. at those lower distances. And, and, and I'm not saying you know 120 to 135 that's still a good toss. Uh, but if you want to move into that elite level, you've got to you, you've got to get some more you get some more behind it. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the stone. I mean, you know, there's there's guys out there that I am way stronger than that will just drop bombs on my stone. I mean, it's because you know they threw track and field for for you know ten years or something like that, and and they can get their hips in front of their their shoulder, and I just I just can't. I don't know why. <laughs> No, I'd say, I mean, I'll chime in on that because, you know, I've thrown Highland Games and pretty much, I mean, I'm the first one to admit the only reason I made it to A class is because I was strong. Um, and, you know, I could be competitive in A class because I was strong and my technique was pretty freaking horrible. Um, <laughs> the two events that I found easiest were probably weight over bar and hammer to do fairly well at. You know, my I won hammer in my first A class event and, uh, and weight over bar, I was, you know, 15. 15 and a half uh, just from being strong and I, I my technique is not that great um, yeah if I wanted to break down a percentage whatever bar is probably the one that you can get away with the most yeah. out, out of not having technique yeah. I mean that is that is you know it was in world strongest man for a reason you know yeah. they used to contest that all the time mm-hmm. and that is a that is a brute strength uh, event I mean there's 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 definitely something to be said for you know Getting it as long of a pull as you possibly can, which yeah. there's some technique involved in that. But I mean, I, I got a, a buddy of mine, Brandon Hall. He competes in powerlifting and arm wrestling, and you know, he went up first time he ever touched one. You know, goes seventeen five, and it's like, yeah. what are you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, you, then I mean, for me, it was anything. Framer stone wasn't that bad because it's just standing and putting a stone, kind of. But you start doing mm-hmm. open stone where you start. You get your feet moving around in a circle, and strength goes to hell. <laughs> you know, with the weight for distance and and uh, you know, open stone. The technique- well, with, with, well, for instance, with with heavyweight for distance, I was the the, the first time I touched a, a heavyweight for distance, I was squatting six hundred pounds, pulling close to you know just just shy of six thirty, and uh, I don't know my bench was nobody cares. Um, but it, it, I think I went 25 feet on my first heavyweight. I mean, yeah. that's versus now I can't squat 600 now. You know, I can pull about 650 now, and my bench still doesn't matter. But you know, I'm going 45 with the heavyweight. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's yeah. it, you know, it, it's it's just a fine line between you're not even a fine line, a thick line between what you consider good and what you consider elite. And then at that point. You know, to break it down further, you know, at that point, then you can then you can assign, you know, I guess percentages of technique and strength. I would definitely say. Would you agree that, um, you know, like me, I was splitting time in between powerlifting and handling games, and I know you were kind of splitting time too. And you know, the reason I kind of walked away from handling games is because I I reached that point where I was an okay class thrower, and it was I knew if I had to get if I wanted to get better. I had to pick a sport. I would have to devote yeah. training towards Highland Games. Um, would you definitely say, I mean, that's something. Do you think you could be a multidiscipline athlete and be very good at both of them? Like, so let's say Highland no. powerlifting. 
No, absolutely not. I think uh, so. Matt, I think even Matt would have said it before. You can't serve. I guess I think you said you can't serve two masters. Yeah. So you're going to be you can be good at both, but you're not going to be great at both. And uh, you know, I, I I've been now in the game some for four years. I started in 2010, so the 2010, 11, 12, 13 season. So I'll be starting out my fifth season next year, and uh, I'm not any stronger whatsoever. You know, <laughs> it's it's trying to recover. You know, from both you know lifting and throwing. I mean, I, 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 you know, I train my balls off in the gym, and I just can't get any stronger, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because I'm out there throwing so much. I just, I just can't recover uh, enough unless, unless I want to get super fat because I'm, you know, stuffing my face so much for the excess calories. But I mean, nobody wants to get, you know, like that. Yeah. Um. Oh, I better not. I was going to say something. David, <laughs> a lot of comments, but hey, I'm going to save that one. Let me let me ask <laughs> something then as a follow up to the um, to the strength versus skill thing. First of all, the reason I asked that to begin with, I remember when I was, uh, I think I was just a freshman in college, I was lifting a lot, you know, and I was getting bigger. I was over 200 pounds. I wasn't a real big person or anything, but, uh, and I was fooling around with this guy who played baseball and we were seeing who could basically throw the baseball farther, you know, and it was almost like a direct like skill versus strength thing. And he just kicked my ass, you know, how far he could just throw throw a, a ball. And that's why I'm always curious about this stuff, like how much of this is skill. And, um, but as a follow up question, then, um, the events that are a greater percentage strength, uh, obviously you have to devote more time in the gym to those, do you not? Uh, you know, I actually just devote more time to throwing them. Um, okay. For instance, weight over bar is probably like, like you know, like Phil was saying, that's probably the most dominant, you know, strength-related event there is. And there's no, I, 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 there's no, nothing in the gym I can do that will specifically mimic that movement. Yeah. I mean, some some people will say will tell you you can do dumbbell snatches, but uh, it, it follows a different plane, so it doesn't make sense. Dumbbell snatches go straight up in a linear uh, fashion, and if you look at if you look at a, a profile view of somebody throwing weight for distance or weight for height correctly, uh, it's more like a pendulum. So you know, pretty much, you know, I want my if you know when I wanted to take my weight over bar to the next level, um, I have a weight over bar set up in my side yard that I practice a couple times a week, and uh, you know, I just grab the weight and and i set it for one foot under my pr and uh, i i take uh, i try to clear it five times and and uh the goal is to go five or five and then i'm done you know sometimes sometimes i go you know five out of 12 other times i go five out of six so i mean it's it, 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 while it's strength related you know i still feel it's just a, a movement you need to you just need to do i mean mm-hmm. you want to get better in the event train the event well, the neat thing about Highland Games, too, compared to other throwing, like track and field, um, mm-hmm. the implements are heavy enough that you can get stronger using them. You know, because it's not like a, you're just using a oh, yeah. pound shot or like a two pound javelin. That's a good you point. Know? Yeah, <laughs> good point. Throwing big weights and trees and, you know, so. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah certainly. There, I'm sure there's some aspect of, uh, of actually getting stronger, you know, just by throwing them. Uh, I mean, people, you know, a buddy of mine, uh, Sean Langford, he tells me all the time, I need to back off my weights in the gym because I'm essentially, you know, I'm, I'm training my muscles on the field just mm-hmm. as well as I'm training my technique because it's exhausting. I got there for an hour and a half a few times a week, and, you know, I'm just I'm beat up. So you, you throw you throw the 56-pound weight 20 or 30 times, and you can't move. <laughs> yeah. The, the biggest thing that I noticed from throwing – was that I was lacking from, say, powerlifting or all my other gym stuff, was uh, 
like the cross-sectional core strength. Every games I'd leave there and I would be wrecked like through my whole right side of my abdominal region. Um, oh. That was the biggest thing for me. It was getting used to is this is just how strong throughout the trunk that uh, throwers need to be. You know what? Uh, you know what really helped me with that was throwing hammer um, because there's a lot. I mean, there's so much core involved in throwing hammer, and I used to have the same you know problem that you're talking about. And over this past off season, so the twenty the twenty twelve the twenty thirteen off season, uh, hammers were my weakest event, and I knew that if I wanted to be a good pro, I needed to bring it up. So I threw hammers sometimes tw- uh, seven times a week, mm. you know, twice a day, you know, uh, three or four times a, a week, and, uh, and and doing that really strengthened up my core. And I mean, I don't even do any core exercises. I yeah. probably should, you know, leg lifts and stuff like that. But you know, just throwing I, I, that involves so much core. I never use a belt either, though. So yeah. no, it's it's amazing the uh, the stretch. There was a guy in my first A class games that tore his abdominal region because he'd taken a break for like two years and came back and the first mm-hmm. hammer throw he from being so stretched uh he ripped his abdominals <laughs> oh. i actually i actually tore mine uh right before the tucson game uh i believe it was the uh, uh somewhere in the abdominal region i can't remember what it is no transverse abdominus that's what it was called um oh, yeah. right as i was catching the hammer on the right side mm-hmm. I, I started pushing and it popped and okay. actually, it didn't pop. It just kind of felt like it was. Uh, you ever get that sensation where you where you feel like you uh, uh, you just it, it's not even strain. It's just kind of cramped. Yeah. Uh, and but it goes. It takes a couple of days to go away. Well, that's, I, I just thought it was a cramp, and I went in. And I you know deadlifted the next day, and <laughs> at, at that point, it actually did pop. Yeah. Mm. So, um, what are your what do you got going on this season coming up? Then you guys, when did your season start? Phoenix is that the start of the season or? Oh, uh, my first. Uh, my first game of the season is going to be the Arnold in Columbus. So that one's a, a very high caliber game. Yeah. Um, so I've got to I've got to really get ready for that one. Make sure I make sure I peak right. And then after that is going to be uh, after that's going to be Phoenix. Uh, and then if all goes well, hopefully uh, Vegas, uh, Sacramento. Um, uh, I got an invitation to Victoria, Canada. So that's I'm really looking forward to that one. Uh, and then uh, some other some of the bigger ones is going to be Pleasanton. Uh, hopefully, I can get into uh, Loon Mountain again in New Hampshire. Um, and then you know, Worlds is going to be in Scotland this year, so I'm really really hoping I can get into that one. How do you do? You qualify for the Worlds, or is it? What do you do? Um, it's uh, I guess you could say it's a qualification. Well, they they, they have it. So if you win the Arnold, that's an automatic uh, automatic qualification for, for okay. Worlds. Uh, and I, I know it's very rankings based. Um, so, I mean, for instance, I was I was ranked fourth uh, in the country going into right, you know going into uh, Worlds this year, uh-huh. uh, and then I believe they took the top six. Um, okay. Now next year, next year since it's actually going to be in in Scotland, obviously there's going to be some differences in in budgeting. So it, I'm not sure how many Americans are going to send. Yeah. Um. Jeez. And the Arnold, that's a that just started last year, didn't it? That they added the Highland Games. Yeah, that's neat. Um, the Arnold's becoming great for that. I was uh, just thinking that Phil. I mean, when Jake said it, that's a real high caliber event. I mean, uh, yeah. so much of what happens at the Arnold is is pretty serious stuff. Oh yeah, it, like last year the the Olympic lifting meet there was the qualifier for the Olympics. But but uh, 
Oh wow, was it? Yeah, the well, I guess it wasn't last year, year before. You know, it was the last qualifier for the Olympics, and that's where, uh, you know, Kendrick Ferris qualified to go. Um, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of neat stuff happening there. They aren't. Uh, I need to make it out that way. Maybe I'll try and make it this year. I can watch Jake throw. It's not at. The, it's at a different. It's at a college field, isn't it? You know, I'm not sure uh, I think it's exactly what that. I'm pretty sure. I know we throw we throw weight over bar indoors. Okay. Uh, I believe I could be wrong, but I believe I believe we throw weight over bar on the strongman stage. Oh, that's neat. Um, uh, and then yeah, the field we have it's it's posted. I think it's like a quarter mile or half mile down the street or something like that. Oh, that's so not... it's going to be very cold. I'm not looking forward to the cold. Yeah, because it's that's what early March. Yeah, yeah, yeah first in, weekend in March in Ohio. Yeah, it won't be good. Yeah, because you're from Phoenix, <laughs> so you're like cold for you is like eighty. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's I mean, that's that's warm. You know, I wouldn't say it's or it's cool. It's not cold. Yeah. Cold is like you know when it gets to fifty, I'm freezing. <laughs> no, I remember <laughs> it from moving away from there. I was so spoiled. Now it's, it's just, I go. I couldn't imagine being there for any extended period of time again. Um, geez, um, do you ever plan on going into powerlifting or anything again at this point? Uh, as far as seriously, no. no. You know, I would like to do a meet. I'd like to do a meet here and there. Um, right now, I'm I'm super focused on Highland Games. Uh, it's it's been really good to me. It's it's a lot of fun. I've met a lot of great people. My wife is super super supportive. Um, uh, my kids love to come out on the field and watch me throw. And you know, I got a gym in my garage. You've seen it, Phil. And my yeah. son comes out. My oldest, he comes out, and he. You know, he he starts fooling around with the weights, and he's got the dumbbells putting them over his head, and so I mean, it, it, the Island Games is, is is really motivating for me as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I'm, it's just, you know, I, I really like where I'm at with that. Um, yeah. I, at some point, you know, I would like to do a pyro for me, for instance. I'd like, you know, a, a goal of mine is to uh, is to uh, deadlift 700 pounds. You know, I would love for the first time that to happen to be on a platform. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I just cannot seem to get any stronger <laughs> with uh, with all this uh, with all this throwing. And uh, so you know, I'm going to keep plugging away. I mean, I was up to 675 uh, last year, uh, and then now, I mean, I was a 650 this year, and and I just you know pulled 635 a few weeks ago, and it felt miserable. So if you eat your way know. up, if you eat your way up to like 440, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Yeah, that's all. That's <laughs> <laughs> that must be that must work. Yeah, you'll just be able to. Well, uh, but yeah, no, I would love to. I'd love to do a powerlifting meet at some point, um, but it would be just for fun. It wouldn't yeah. be anything serious. I was doing strongman last year, and those are super fun to do. But there's just so much risk for injury. There is. I mean, the, the, you know, with the, by, by going pro with the Highland Games, uh, you know, I'm making a little bit of money on the side. It's nothing serious. So I'm making a little bit of money on the side. I can buy my kids, you know. You know, a playhouse and stuff like that. You know, once I start, you know, breaking down, I'm not as efficient anymore. Then I'll probably go back into powerlifting. And I don't know, strongman just that just beats me up too too much. It's just that's exhausting work. And Highland Games is a very family friendly sport too. That was the one of the smartest moves I think that you know the Scottish Games did was they it's it's latched onto a festival. If if powerlifting and Olympic lifting could do that somehow, it would triple in size. I think. Yeah. You know, at some point, there's somebody's family there, and we're all going to somebody's house after the games, yeah. having a great time. You know, like I said, my wife, she brings the kids. My in-laws come. It's an awesome time. She's, you know, she talks a lot of smack on the field. <laughs> I love her. It's, it's awesome. Uh, and then, uh, you know, my, my kid, he, they're out there, you know, pretending to throw and, you know, cheering me on, and it's, it's, it's a really, really fun time. Yeah. 
good stuff. Um, do you have any tips for somebody that wants to try out Highland Games and get into it for the first time? You know, go to uh, go to nazgoweb.com and look up a look up a festival in your area. You know, or I mean, you could even Google Highland Games in your zip code and see see if there's one in your area. I, I would tell everybody definitely at some point in their life to go watch one because they're super fun. Even if you're not competing, just watch one. You see these guys, you see guys that don't know what they're doing. You see guys that do know what they're doing. Uh, you see girls that that you know don't know what they're doing. You see girls that know what they're doing. It, it's it's just a lot of fun. And then you know, it, I would also say. If you're going to go there, uh, just pick up one of the implements. Pick up one of the heavy implements so so you can see, so you can feel, you know what it's what that 56 pounds actually feels like. Because you know when you say, "Oh, I throw 56 pounds," you know what what's the reaction? Oh, okay, big deal. 56 pounds is not a big deal. Yeah. You know, it's a you know bag of concrete. You know, whatever. Uh, but when you pick up, you know, a ball and a chain and it weighs 56 <laughs> pounds, and then visualize yourself spinning around in a circle with it, yeah, <laughs> your your viewpoint starts change a little. You know. Yeah, it's always fun to see somebody try and do the 56 for the first ever time that has no <laughs> throwing background. They usually fall down, and it's, yeah, it's pretty good. So Yeah, I remember I remember training out the field with you the first few times we did it. That was, oh, yeah. I mean, it was a, a riot. <laughs> I fell down a lot. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, good times. Well, I think that's about it. I think it was a good show. Um, and hopefully we get some good feedback from this, and good luck, uh, at the Arnold and, and pushing on hopefully to another world championship. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. We will talk to everybody next week. Okay. Welcome everybody to the Yuletide bonus segment. I've got Rob on the phone and uh, despite technical difficulties of different kinds, including some failed hardware, uh, we're up and running and we're just going to do a, a couple of listener questions from our Facebook page. Thank you guys for responding and the 28 or 30 people who liked the idea. Um, and then we'll just touch a little bit on the year in review. We don't want to go too far in that direction, I think, because probably in January we'll do a look back at 2013 and maybe even a look forward to 2014 with some predictions or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but let's start with some of these uh, questions here. Let's see. The first mm-hmm. one was... Um, how much eggnog to drink to add 50 pounds to my squat? This is from Lonnie Ducote. I thought it was funny because there is a relationship between body mass and squat. I think we've talked about that before. I don't know. What do you think, Rob? I absolutely agree that, you know, um, that's true. Uh, I mentioned probably a year or two ago the whole concept that um, a lot of the equipment, the support gear has kind of blurred people's perception of that being the reality mm-hmm. uh, if, if you kind of get my drift um, because guys who are way too light to squat certain poundages um, ten, can do it you know with all the support gear and so forth and of course you know that's a, of course drugs is an issue that we could talk about as well but generally speaking a guy who's not using a lot of equipment and who's not using drugs um is going to have to be big to squat big. You can get pretty strong not being particularly big, you know, like if you're, you know, 200, 220, 240, um, you know, four or 500 pounds probably. I mean, you know, and there's always that freak out there who can do something, but, you know, certainly by and large, um, for most, um, yeah, you do have to get to a, 
pretty high body weight to squat. And, and I'm not talking again. I'm not talking about four or five hundred pounds even. And a five hundred pound squat is a base squat, raw and drug free. No kidding. But um, yeah, when you're starting to push up to six, seven hundred pounds and even greater. And I don't really know how many guys are actually doing that drug free anyway. But you know, when you certainly when you're trying to squat up around six hundred pounds and greater, you know, I again maybe excluding the one in a billion guy out there who might be able to do it. There's you're pretty much looking at having to be pr- probably pushing three hundred pounds and more to yeah. start flirting with that. Well, and I was again, just going to say, Rob, that now Lonnie is joking, of course, but eggnog is so energy dense. It's actually probably one of the most calorie dense. I mean, there's so much fat and sugar because uh, if you look at eggnog, it's actually in a smaller serving size. You might say, oh, it's got the same amount of, I don't know, um, protein as milk or whatever or other nutrients as milk. But if you look closely, it's in about half the amount, you know, so you could put on those 50 pounds and push toward the like you said, the big man squat, the 700 plus squat, you know? Do you, um, is there actually eggs in eggnog? And that's just maybe a stupid question, but I've actually never drank eggnog. Well, yeah, but you know, like anything else these days, things are so fabricated and false that there's, you know, um, holiday nog and stuff like that. And who oh, knows geez. what's in some of these things? I know it's like beverage. What's that mean? Um, let's go to the next one. Uh, gifts for gym employees and trainers. This is from Michael Miskell. Um, you know, good idea or is this just weird? What about appropriate, appropriate gift ideas? Uh, this jogs my memory, actually, Michael, that uh, I bought a Mueller uh, elbow sleeve, and I have not reviewed this. I've been meaning to review this. Within two weeks, it's split out on me, and that just really hacks me off. I do not have time for this, you know. Uh, I used to use those um, really simple, thin, they're just Ace brand, um they're practically just a sleeve of ace bandage, really. Uh, but I thought, oh, I'll get one of these neoprene things, you know, and boom, split out. And it's not because I have monster guns, that's for sure. Uh, and it's not like I got the wrong size because I'm not an idiot. I know how snug they should be, you know, not snug enough to make your hand turn blue. Um, but on the flip side, snug enough, you know, that they create a lot of warmth and some support. So in defense of the Mueller company, I did buy a second one. And it has been holding up for uh, about a month now. So we'll see what happens. But elbow sleeves and that kind of stuff, those are handy, especially if you've got people who work with middle-aged clients or people who lift enough that they have, you know, irritated joints and all that kind of stuff because there's obviously a war scarred veteran theme on this program. Um, But that's (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of for a reason, you know. So uh, maybe younger guys don't need that stuff. Um, But if you do think about gifts you know those are like between 10 and 30 dollar gifts usually not super expensive uh you know but i'd be careful with those mueller ones at least until i can decide how good those are i don't know can you think of any gifts rob well uh, just just to clarify on a point you made earlier lonnie's guns are are always locked and loaded so <laughs> yeah i need a license to carry those guns so, so make make no mistake out there gang Lonnie has no. packing heat. Anyway, um, uh, gifts. Yeah, I'm not really a gift giving kind of guy. No, so I, I hear you. You know, I don't. That... Really, I uh, yeah, <laughs> the, you know the, the the Christmas season and the uh, mass consumption that goes on. I uh, I mean, I know this is a cliche thing to say, but in my case, it's actually literal. I don't really engage in much of that at all. I think uh, 
the most festive thing I probably spend money on during Christmas is, geez, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to sound sexist, but sometimes I wonder if that's a, a guy thing because it's really hard for me to do that too. You know, it's like, I'm not, I don't know. Yeah, I, I it just, know. you know, grosses me out. You go to like I, and it's just well, like. It's that, it's, it's that gross commercialism, but I mean, I love you like a brother. I'm not going to send you a, a, a syrupy card and a gift. I don't know. I'm just not. I don't do that for my brother. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm just a jerk. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Well, when 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 you get your when you get yours from me, just don't feel bad about not reciprocating. That. Oh, okay. <laughs> I <see laughs> no, I mean is. it's you know, and my my whole family kind of knows that about me. You know, it's, it's it has nothing to do with you know being a cheapskate or anything like that. It's just I just I'm just not into it, man. Well, you know, they like, say like that I it's say, the thought just, that counts, but. It, just because you don't do it, it doesn't mean that you're not in my thoughts. You are. You're just, you yeah, know, not enough for me to uh, spend an afternoon going to find the perfect gift for you. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that well, that's the thing, right? I mean, it, it's it's. I, I gotta believe that most people out there who are you know buying for more than five or ten people. I mean, how can you find the perfect gift for five or ten or more people without quitting your job and doing that full time for a month? You know, you see people at the mall. How many people at the mall just like running into different stores, being like, "Okay, on my list of twelve people to buy for," you know? And I mean, you don't have time to spend five hours looking for the perfect gift for a freaking, uh, you know, your your cousin Bill. I mean, I don't know. I, I read you. Okay, let's keep moving down through these. Uh, Hannibal Barca says, uh, "Oh, he was the one mentioning the best worst segment." Yeah, we'll probably do that in January. Uh, that's gonna take some thinking um as far as holiday ideas though i did want to touch on one thing here as a tangent before i keep going down our list uh if there were trends in 2013 that just jumped to the top of my head rob and i were talking about this uh before we hit record uh one i think is guys that are on so much gas they kill themselves they get literally get so big they die and I've said this, <laughs> I've said this for years. <laughs> that sounds funny, doesn't it? But yeah, I mean, yeah, but it, for yeah, years we've probably. said that the, this escalation, that technology has ruined what what I used to call the quest for size. You know, there were the guys like the big guys, like Arnold. You know, and guys get bigger and bigger. Haney then came along, and then the Dorian era, and guys are you know bigger and bigger. And at some point, you're so big it's stupid. Um, and I think we're there when we're talking about 13 grams of gas a week 12 i use a gh a day and guys walking around at 350 with no body fat you know and they hit a single pose like we used to joke about with paul delay you know and, and three normal men have to carry him off stage as he's in a spasm that's not heroic you know um <laughs> no, it it's isn't. diseased i don't know yeah. and that you hurts know, me it, to say I, that in a way i was thinking something the other day the, the the gym that i um go to here um and I've mentioned this before in the show. It, it is, and I don't know if it's you know emblematic of other gyms you know in this region or this part of the country or I don't know, but there is a lot of stuff floating around because this is one of the he- most heavily gassed up gyms I've ever seen, oh. and that's saying that's actually saying a lot. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. if you think of kind of how long I've been around, kind of the gyms I've I've, I've trained at, and but conversely, it's one of the weakest gyms that I've ever trained at. Like, nobody lifts anything in that place. It's it's phenomenal to me how many people are on stuff 
and how much how much relatively little weight is being lifted. Oh. Um, mm. Anyway, be beyond that. Um, what I wanted to say is just the. Uh, you know, you were talking about, you know, back in the day, you know, of course, referring back to the day, like the 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, I mean, to see a big guy was, you know, I mean, now it seems like you say the quest for size. I mean, now every, it used to be unusual to see somebody like, I mean, well, an Arnold Schwarzenegger at his peak was extraordinarily unusual. But I mean, you know, even guys who are like as muscular as like a, a toned down Frank Zane was unusual. And right. now, and yeah. uh, now... I see these guys at my gym. Every fourth guy is that big. Well, I've said it before. And it was like a secret I, brotherhood I'm before. Not, you know, the guys yeah, that no. dabbled with gas, you know, or even the guys who were just phenomenal for genetic reasons or, or combination. That was such a rare state of being, cohort of people. And now, yeah, with the whole Jersey whores thing and all this stuff that's spread all over, you know, there's these clubbers that they they seem to know about what used to be this this hidden lifestyle. And I don't just mean the the gas. I don't just mean the drug use. I just mean the, the entire bodybuilding kind of lifestyle. They abuse it just enough, like you said, with wussy weights and just enough of a pump in the gym and t-shirt muscle workouts every day. Um, but they've they've caught that hint, that pharmaceutical hint. And now it's just so pervasive. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. You know, they're not competing. The way, they, they're never going to compete, you know. By the way, Jersey whores. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, and I want to clarify that what I was saying before, as far as being as big or as you know, as a, you know, a kind of toned down Frank Zane. That's not to suggest by any means that these guys have physiques of any even remote quality of a Frank Zane. You know, Rob, that's a these great guys like, like point. Yeah, because these guys have like you know, uh, for the most part, they have completely and utterly, um, you know unfinished unrefined non-proportional yes horrifically you know like, like it's it non-quality ish physique so i'm not suggesting that these guys have physiques that are anywhere as near as stage ready or quality as as a frank Zane. that's that's not what i'm suggesting i'm just talking about as far as sheer just kind of like you potential. know just just yeah, they have no potential. Just bloated yeah, bloated, you know, mismatched body part kind of muscle. You know, I just spoke to a guy, shout out to my buddy Jimmy. I haven't talked to Jim in years, uh, chiropractor guy, but he, and he ran around with um, sort of the old cohort of guys in the local gyms here. Uh, but he said that. He's like, you know, just because a lot of these old, the guys that we knew back from the day, several of them are now dead. I mean, I'm not kidding. Uh, one of them just died this month. I, I, my jaw was on the floor. I just saw him in the gym this fall. Um, you know, after multiple heart surgeries and all this kind of stuff and recreational drugs and all this other crap that they, they seem to descend into. But, um, but, but Jim was saying, you know, there's a certain prerequisite of shape, you know, of born potential when it comes to bodybuilding, um, and it could be for size. It could be for condition or a dramatic look of some kind. I mean, look at Tom Platt wasn't the king of proportion, but he was amazing. And, yeah, these local guys, you know, they're they're uh, they're taking boatloads of stuff to place eighth in a local show because they don't have it. You know, they don't have calves or they have a thick waist or narrow shoulders or whatever it is. 
Um, anybody could pursue it, but like you're saying, I agree. Mismatch body parts and this and that, and they're lifting like wussies. They have no serious or competitive aspirations. They're completely recreational in what they're doing, um, and they're not dabblers either. They're hitting stuff hard. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you said, I know. They're and, and, and their training is is like I say is is conversely it's it's completely. I don't know where these a lot of these guys are getting their training information from, and I, and I've actually said. That you know, there's a lot of professional bodybuilders who have you know become professional bodybuilders who are much less than master trainers. But again, you're talking about guys um, that you know. In reference to what you're saying, Lonnie, you're talking about guys who uh, you know might be the genetic elite. So it's almost like with enough stuff and some some sort of stimulus, they're just going to look great, you know. Um, but when you're not playing with that kind of genetic potential, and and I think Platts is a kind of a good example. You kind of have to kind of be good at what you you know in the gym at what you're doing and have an idea of what you're doing, you know and and but, the, but yeah these guys I mean it blows my mind the amount of guys who are on the stuff that they're on, and I mean I can say openly that if I actually went on stuff I mean you have to maximize being on the stuff these are just guys who don't you know what I mean like they're not eating. You know, it was, well, it's a lack of discipline from programming too. Instead of working on a weak body part, like you might see some of the you know professional guys do, or like someone like a Zane would write about, or even Arnold, uh, they don't have the discipline to do that. They just keep going in and chest, 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 biceps, biceps, biceps. You know what I mean? And it's uh, it there's there's no um, whole body kind of programming or sculpting kind of thing. You know what I mean? Maybe some ab work. Um, yeah, and I think that's a good point. You know, it seems to be that these guys, because so many of these guys don't plan to ever compete, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The thing is, though, is that, you know, even even if you don't plan to compete, you would think that going in the gym, you would have a certain presence of mind to kind of understand, you know, a general, you know, desirability towards working towards a... Balance, yeah. A, 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 Portion and, and like you, yeah, a somewhat of a balance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you're, if you're, if you're doing, you know, if you're just a complete hobbyist and you're doing one, two grams of test a week, you know, and you're doing like, you know, twenty minute cursory leg extension leg workouts. No, that's I'm a good sorry. point. I'm that. That's just that's just beyond pathetic. Well, I, I like that you say hobbyist. Yeah, that's kind of the issue, isn't it? Instead of living the lifestyle, it, it's like more like a hobby, so you can be bloated up for. Uh, drinking tonight at the club. You oh, know? you know what? And that really, truly is. I mean, I hate to say it, but that truly is that the reality for a lot. Mo- I would say most of these guys, they just want to kind of like impress the chicks, you know, at the gym. And I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, but if you're freaking doing you know one or two grams of test a week and you're doing it just to impress some chicks or the the doorman at a club, wow, yeah, it's like yep. like wow. Okay, let's uh, we'll move on a little bit because this is related. I don't want to make this a whole topic about a- anabolics, but let's face it: strength sports and and these kinds of things are have history. Um, these guys were saying Stephen Lay, in fact, says, "Okay, Lonnie, here's a topic for a show: uh, Is powerlifting a young man's sport? My angle is from a health standpoint, like extra weight, lifting, stress, shying away from cardio. Uh, you know, th- maybe a negative." Uh, he says, I love listening to you guys, but I'm at the same age as you, and now I do things for health, and heavy, heavy weights are not part of my uh, life anymore. And then this sort of opened up a couple of people responding back, saying, I hope not. You know, I'm in my late 30s, or 
Well, look at Stan Efferding. You know, he hit a 223.03 total when he was in his 40s. But that really is what jumps into my mind. These guys talk about getting stronger later in life, and we've talked about that before. We all agree that you can get strong as hell. In fact, even peak probably in your 40s. But I think the joints thing, when it comes to mileage, right, not just age, but mileage, uh, does become an issue. And let's be honest, Stan Everding is not... (laughs) Sorry, Stan, but he's been on the show. He's a nice guy. He's not a drug-free lifter. You know, so you can't look at somebody, a guy who's, you know, uh, a heavy user in his 40s and point to him as an example that age is not a factor because age is a factor uh, because one of the things that normally happens to guys in their 40s and 50s is their T levels drop a little, for example. You know, and if you're on 12 IUs of GH and uh, grams and grams of androgens a week, um, that's a completely different state of being. So we have to be very careful, I think, when we say, we use someone like Stan as an example of, oh, you can be strong as hell later in life. It's like, well, he's also a bodybuilder. He's ripped, for God's sake. You know, and uh, it's just not a natural state of being. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and and those are realities you have to look at. But, you know, it also, people forget, you know, (sighs) see, I'm 43 and I'll be 44 in January. You know, so like in a month and a bit, I'll be 44. I honestly no, notice no difference, no difference in in my strength levels, my joints, or anything. Now um, that's interesting. You said that though, because you know I've said it before. I'm a I'm a small to medium frame guy. I have a family history of osteoarthritis. In fact, I'm 44, and I can see some of those sort of bony nodules at the ends of my fingers a little bit, just barely, but I can see them there, and I can feel my joints. You know, and I've always kind of joked about you have you know you have big, strong joints and, you know, sometimes in bodybuilding, the guys with little joints, they look good in bodybuilding, but it hurts their career longevity with the heavy weights. Um, You know, the only thing, it's it's actually good that I gave, the things that I have noticed, because you you do notice your body changing um, all through life, from the time you're like probably 10 to your dead. Um, The thing I have noticed is a, a skin quality and I don't get pumps like I used to. You know, that's interesting. That's probably, the, that's probably the biggest thing I've noticed. I do, do you not, think, though, that now, could I be more body now, fat? Because I think we I don't we both carry train. more body fat, and I think that kind of eliminates some of that pump drama. Don't you think? When what you're, the, when what you're less story? lean, you just don't see – you don't feel – you know, I the pump seems less dramatic. No, no. I, you know what? I hear what you're saying, and that's a good point, but I don't think in – I don't think in this case it is. Now, my training is pretty much anti-pump. <laughs> you know, like when you're doing like, you know, doubles and triples every like five, ten minutes. Gotcha. That's not really conducive to getting pumps. Agreed. Um, yep. But even still, even when I do like a higher rep couple sets or something like that, I just don't get pumped like I used to get. So I do notice the difference there. Um, but outside of that, I get a little bit more. I'm a little stiffer in the morning when I wake up. But I mean, when I say stiffer, I mean maybe stiffer for like an extra like two minutes before oh, right. I kind of loosen up. Yep. Um, you know, but you know, you know, in a general, in a general sense, yeah, what you're saying, yeah, but you know what, you also have to look at the individual big time because like I, I say, I very, very strongly believe that I will achieve some freaking phenomenal poundages in my forties. Um, Hey, if I can just tack onto that too, I, one of the, the guys on our Facebook page said, 
oh, I'm 37 now, and I know Phil's in his late 30s, and I don't want to be the, the harbinger of doom, but I'm telling you, I felt nothing until my early 40s. Then all of a sudden, like you said, there's a little bit of that skin quality thing, you know, a little bit of the joint stuff. So I think there is a lot of individuality there. But I guess what I'm saying is if you are in your early, mid, or late 30s, make it happen. You know, make things happen now because you might think that your 40s are going to be identical to your 30s, and I don't think they are um, for, well, a, but for again, a lot of guys. I think, but I, again, I think that is determined on, on – when I think when you started, too, because no right. I, mileage, you know, yeah. like when you start when you're like you know mid teens and so forth, like you and I had. Well, I mean, you you even started younger than I was. I was 15. I know that you were 13. years younger than yeah. me. Um, my body doesn't just respond well to it; demands almost you know, that I do yes, that, and I actually true. don't feel. Well, like if you are, you know, when I feel my age, I feel my age if I don't train for a couple of weeks. Yes, Rob, it's you know amazing. I, mean? I don't know it, if it's like a panacea that it stays off aging. We've had people talk about how it, it cuts muscle loss of aging by like a factor of four. But yes, I notice like a loss of flexibility and I get more stiff much more quickly. Uh, and I don't know if that's because of the lifting is a, a medication against age, kind of, or if it's like you said. After literally our entire adult lives uh, training, it's almost like food or any essential nutrient. You know what I mean? We have to get it uh, to function. I don't know. Absolutely. Like I li- literally last night had 585 on my back um, Oof. twice in the in the session. And I feel phenomenal. You know, and... It, the heavier I go and the more consistently I train and train to my potential, the better I feel, period. Um, you know, the better my back feels, the better my knees feel. The, people talk all the time who are like 27 about their – and again, I'm not, I'm not trashing on people for saying this because it may or may not be true. Maybe they're just wimps and they're freaking coming up with excuses not to do it. But I hear more guys who are in their like late 20s, early 30s who are talking about their, you know, their knees hurting this and everything. Um, it seems like the older I get, and this is going to be kind of a weird thing to say, but the older I get, the less I, ha- I have any. Not that I ever really had any, but you know, once in a while I'd have knee pain here or there. The older I get and the stronger I get, the less I have any sort of knee pain whatsoever, or back pain for that matter. So I don't know. I, I just So when you see some of these guys on YouTube, you know, you get these, you know, people post some video of some guy who's like, you know, 55 years old, squatting 800 pounds or something like that. And people are like, horse shit, there's no freaking way that's fake plates. You know what? From my vantage point, from where I stand, um, and again, I, I can't predict the future. Who knows? Maybe I'll be a freaking uh, an invalid at 47 <laughs> in a wheelchair. I don't know. You know, maybe it'll right. just happen to me over it. But like, what, from my vantage point right now, seeing when people post those types of things, I, it completely is potential. For, for, you know, like, um, and again, not for everybody. And I realize it's a special breed of right. person who but maybe possible. can do that. Yeah, of course. I mean, but, you know, you have to say the same thing about anybody, right? When they post guys who are 65 years old running a marathon in record time. Like, oh, you know, I'll, there's no way. Well, why not? You know what I mean? There's always going to be people out there who are just going to be 
good at something and not just and just like we talk about there's different types of genetics in bodybuilding you know genetics to response to drugs genetics as far as you know bone structural you know aesthetics all those types of there's different type of you know um, ways of looking at good at something you know I think everybody looks at like powerlifting people look at well he's a good powerlifter and the only quality they, they ascribe to that is he's good because well because he lives a lot, lifts a lot of weight but they don't think in terms of he's a good powerlifter because he doesn't get hurt he's a good powerlifter because he does it and he's in his 40s or 50s and he's still rock and rolling and still getting stronger he's good at it because you know what I mean like he's good at it because he's consistent at it there's different ways of qualifying what is good you know and you know some people are just good at something just because they're you know consistent with it for for years and years and years, and they're good at it because they can. I mean, who's a better powerlifter? A guy who achieves world class numbers at 25, but then you know a decade later can't can't total half that amount because their joints are all shot to hell and they can't lift anything anymore, or is it a guy who never got to nearly the heights that that guy did? But he has longevity. But but he's 50 years old and he's still lifting national level level poundages. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like. Who's really to say what, who, who of those two are better? You well, know and I mean? you know what? To your point about uh, everybody's a collection of certain things that makes them good, uh, the bodybuilding versus powerlifting thing is part of this too because bodybuilding done smartly um, I think is an amazing, amazing therapy for people to be incredibly strong and have great physiques throughout their lives. I mean look at guys like Zane in his 70s now, Pearl in his 80s. You know what I mean? But like you said, unlike the guys who do the redonkulous weights in their 20s or the bodybuilders, the modern crop of bodybuilders who uh, gas so hard they basically fall apart and die in their 40s. You know what I mean? There's almost like this um, burnout versus burn steady for a long time kind of thing. And I think that's one of the trends that we're seeing with these guys uh, and it's not just a 2013 year in review thing, but in general, you know, you see you young, know, young guys just they're they're so much in warrior mode. They they're okay at the time in their 20s with destroying themselves, whether it's with ridiculous weights or with um, monster amounts of uh, drugs or frequent frequent competitions. Um, but then, you know, you don't see so much. You hear a little blurb maybe, but the magazines and the internet, they don't really focus as much on what happens to these guys when they're done. I mean, there are examples like Lee Labrada, who still look great. You know, businessman, moved on, stayed positive, at least as far as I can tell. But then there are guys like the Mike Matarazzo's of the world and uh, the Ronnie Coleman's. And, you know, you can you could point to lots of examples of guys who... You know what I mean? They practically walk away from their sport, especially the powerlifters. I think Tate was talking about that. Um, because if they can't squat eight or 900 pounds, they just don't want to even do it anymore. You know, and they, I don't know. So, but you don't see, yeah, and, you don't see I, the after the fact stuff. You don't see that kind of longevity. And I have a lot of respect for guys like Zane and Pearl. Huge respect. So, oh my God. Uh, Bill Pearl, you said he's in his 80s and he gets up at four o'clock every, every morning and goes out in his garage and lifts with his wife. Right. You know, on. like, yep. I mean, I mean, holy crap! Is 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 there more of a example of a bodybuilder? You know, I mean, you look at guys who have achieved world class. I like a guy like Flex Wheeler, for instance. 
Yes. Flex Wheeler Flex Wheeler to me is a guy who reached the almost you know, was one person shy of what, you know, being the pinnacle in the professional bodybuilding world and I'd be hard pressed to actually look at that guy and say, "Yeah, he's a die in the way." He's, you know, this is this is a phrase that I've, I've used, and it's kind of my phrase. So if people want to use, it, always make sure that you attribute it to Fortress. But, <laughs> <laughs> but of the iron, and Lonnie, you know that I've used that a lot. You know that phrase of the iron. Um, I would never call a guy like Flex Wheeler of the iron. Agreed. You know, he's, yeah. he he was the second best bodybuilder, professional bodybuilder in the world at one. point. Point. Well, he, when he was competing, he, was he, never did, really... he admitted that, didn't he? That he said, I, I don't even want to do this. If if I can't be uh, famous or once the money stops rolling in or whatever it was, I'm not even going to lift anymore, I think he said, didn't he? Yeah, and it's, it's you know it's very symbolic of a, of kind of a lot of the, the contemporary thinking, you know, not to put down this generation because every generation has its bozo qualities, but the idea that you know, the, the training is just the means to the end. You know what I mean? I want to be jacked. I want to, you know, win some stuff, and I want to be on some covers, and I want to get all this adulation. And oh yeah, to do that, I guess I got to go to the gym. You know, four, four, five times right. a week. I have to you go know, to the gym, not I get to go to the gym. Right. Exactly, and that's the exactly. Yeah. You know, for guys like you and me, and probably a vast majority of probably people who are listening to this show. Yeah, it's it's it, it, all those other things are. I mean, how much money have I? I mean, yes, I, I've I've sustained myself at p- times in my life through the industry of bodybuilding and and weight training, no Absolutely. question. Yeah. But I mean, how much money have I actually made from contest earnings or from being a bodybuilder or a power lifter? Oh right, I've, <laughs> right. I've, I've, you know, I've made none. Now maybe that just you know is just you know symptomatic of the fact that I suck, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you get my point, right? Like, I mean, you know, but I keep doing it. I mean, if I, you know, if if I was paid as well as, you know, professor, some professional athletes that get paid to, you know, work out and train and keep up their skill level for their particular sport, you know, I, I think I'd be a pretty wealthy man right now, you know, but I get paid jack. Like when I went to the gym last night, you know, when when nobody was there because it was Saturday Saturday night, and you know, and I'm putting six plates on my on my back. Nobody's walking up to me and saying, "Yeah, thanks, thanks, Fortress, for coming out." Here's twenty bucks. Like, you know, and, <laughs> it's quite and, the and opposite. You pay for the gym membership. You know, nobody, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, and again, maybe it's just because I suck. But the point being is, like, you know, most of us, that's that's the reality. You know, we don't get paid for for doing stuff. So when you're going. You know, three, four, five times a week to the gym for twenty, thirty years. I mean, that you know, and, and and you've never done it because you don't go to bars, you know, and you you're married or you're not like chasing women all the time. God, you have to be doing it for a very specific reason. That re- reason has to just be because just you love to do it. Well, you know I, I think mean? we all we all get bit uh, essentially by the bug. Uh, and become lifers because we do meet with a certain amount of success. Phil has said before, you know, if I do something, I want to, I want to be freaking good. And I mean, because of what I did, you know, like compete against guys that were heavily hormonally advanced, you know, uh, enhanced. And I just would see, can I place in the top two or three, you know, at a regional level and that sort of thing. I like that. I met with some success. You know, I was able to get almost 230 pounds on a five, nine frame. Granted, I was a little bit fat at the time but the point is there is a certain amount of success and satisfaction with body mastery and uh, whether or not you compete you know 
And I think all of us feel that on a certain level, that you are much better than average. Uh, I think you mentioned before, I mean, the average man, God, I mean, you know, he can struggle his body weight up in the bench press maybe once, you know, or I don't even want to think how poor the squat, you know, averages are. Uh, but that might be worth an episode right there. Uh, we talked about what's strong before, but it might be fun to revisit some of those averages because, boy, that would make a lot of our listeners feel good. What the average guy or gal can actually do uh, as far as weight-wise or as far as their body fatness or physique or whatever, boy, that'll make you feel really good because the average person is a train wreck. I mean, my son actually said once, I said something about obese versus uh, average, and he said, but obese is average now, Dad. I'm like, you know, overweight and obese is in fact average. I mean, three quarters of us almost, you know, so he's got a point. Average is um, small uh, muscle mass, lots of body fat. That That is average, you know, so uh, exactly. I don't know. Yeah, so I, I, we're just about out of time with this because we don't have any uh, regular episode length here this time, but that's something good to feel, uh, you know, to feel about, to feel good about as far as this end of the year thing like what have you accomplished over the last year imagine what you're like compared to the average guy even if you're not squatting flirting with 700 pounds natural like fortress or or whatever uh just to point out that rob does not in fact suck but (laughs) (laughs) but still um crazy uh leaps and bounds above the average man and woman uh and i think women out there in particular when they grow roughly as strong as the average guy and they shock that you know they shock a man like an average guy maybe in some kind of f- just silly physical you know conflict or something like that the guy's like oh my god you know this woman is stronger than i am well yeah she may in fact be but that's because of what we do you know but yeah okay yeah. well happy holidays everybody i know this wasn't super holiday themed um but at least you know we're trying to bring it up since I didn't really bring it up much with with Phil at all uh, when we were talking his buddy Jake, but I don't know. Any holiday wishes, Fortress? Um, Merry Christmas. And yeah. no, I didn't say Happy Holidays. I said Merry Christmas. I, I could tell by your, your inflection what you meant. <laughs> yeah. I, I am so sick and tired of seeing this on every ad and TV. Happy, uh, during this holiday season, screw the holiday season. It's Christmas. You, you know? know? We and, said it before. Yeah, It's not like I'm offended. If somebody says Happy Hanukkah, great, fantastic. You know what I mean? Well, I am, exactly. I wouldn't even care if somebody came up. Yeah, I don't care if somebody comes up and says Happy Hanukkah. I'd be like, yeah, Happy Hanukkah to you. Like, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even a Christian. I'm not even a Christian. I was raised Catholic, but I'm not anymore. But I certainly have no problem with somebody saying something like that to me. I'm like, you know, great. If somebody wishes me a happy whatever, I'll return the exact same holiday back at them. Right. Yeah, it's well-meaning, ha- for God's sake, you know. I, exactly. Who, who the hell's meaning anything bad by it? I mean, so, you know, this whole, you know, everything is during this holiday season. Happy holiday season. It's your holiday season. It's Christmas. Yeah. You know, it's it, like, I mean, that's the, what the holiday is. Well, it's a holiday with hundreds of years of tradition, and I know it's a mix of pagan and and Christian, and it's got, you know, all these other secular influences and everything else, but it's it's been done for hundreds of years. It's a time of year where at least I sometimes see people, they hold the door for somebody else a little bit more. Maybe they act a little more kindly. Now, there are the jerks who run around as jerks, you know, and they're just upset by, like you said, this big Christmas list that they have to 
handle. But, you know, it is a good time of year. So, anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, next week, uh, we don't have a ton of plans. We'll probably do some type of review uh, of 2013. Look forward to 2014. I know Rob had some comments about the continued growth of, like, pre-workout products and stuff like that and how entrenched they become. Uh, that'd be kind of a neat thing to talk about as a trend. But some trends, maybe some predictions coming up. And, um... Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yep, Merry Christmas. Hey, sports nutrition fans, join us in beautiful Clearwater Beach, Florida, June 20 and 21 for the 11th Annual ISSN Conference and Expo. You'll learn the latest, greatest sports nutrition from the best minds in the business. Some of our speakers include Juan Carlos Santana, Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky, Gina Lombardi, and many, many more. You'll learn about intermittent fasting, how to exercise to offset poor eating, and also nutritional strategies for maintaining or gaining muscle mass. But the best part is you'll get to rub elbows with the best scientists in the business. The ISSN, why would you go anywhere else? Go to www.theissn.org for more information. That's www.theissn.org for more info. See you there. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.